Welcome to Stories with a Twang. I'm Nathan. For today's episode, I'm going to read The Ghost Collie at Scataway from 13 Georgia Ghosts and Jeffrey by Catherine Tucker Wyndham. They tell strange tales up in the mountains of North Georgia, up around Owltown and Shakerag and Lower Tater Ridge, tales of monsters and witches and boogers and other embodiments of evil. But it is the story of the White Collie, a gentle and pathetic dog that is told most often at Scataway. Some people now living in the Scataway community that sprawls along the mountain valley have seen the ghost collie and can give personal testimony of these encounters. Other stories of the phantom dog begin, My grandpa used to tell me, or Mama's oldest sister, Aunt Viney, said she. The accounts, though, they may vary in detail, all relate the story of a white collie that used to return from the dead to search for his owner in Scataway. Perhaps no one tells the story of the sorrowing animal better than does Hugh Oliver. Hugh Oliver left his rugged, unspoiled hills to find adventure in far countries, and he has now returned to claim fulfillment at a place called Bald Mountain Park. I saw the ghost dog, Hugh Oliver says, and I patted him, and he licked my hand. It's been more than 40 years ago, but I can still remember how his fur felt, and I can still feel his tongue licking my hand. Hugh was about eight years old when it happened, and he was visiting his oldest sister in Scataway. The sister was named Blonde, Miss Blonde Oliver, and she was the teacher at the one-room Scataway school. School zones were vague, and enforcement of attendance laws was lax in those days. So sometimes when Miss Blonde came home for the weekend, Hugh would go back to Scataway with her and attend school there for a week or two. Miss Blonde boarded with Mr. and Mrs. Silas Deaton, an elderly couple who lived about a quarter of a mile from the frame schoolhouse. Nearly everybody at Scataway, even people not kin to them, called the couple Grandma and Grandpa Deaton, sort of titles of affection and respect. The Deaton's house was right close to the main road that came through the gap and ran through the valley. It was not a big house, but it was comfortable, and Miss Blonde liked boarding there. She had a small bedroom that opened off the front room, the main room in the house. Her furniture was plain, a feather bed, a straight chair and a table, both handmade, to hold her books, a washstand with a bowl and a pitcher. The floor was bare, its wide boards worn smooth by many feet and many scrubbings. The room's only decorations were a plain oval picture of a nameless Deaton ancestor in a flat frame, a cross-stitched sampler with colored X's spelling out the Lord is my shepherd, and a calendar with a picture of a lighthouse on it. Miss Blonde had promised to save the picture for Hugh when the year ended. Grandma and Grandpa Deaton liked to have Hugh come to visit them. When she knew he was coming, Grandma Deaton would make tea cakes and have them tied in a clean flour sack in the corner of the kitchen safe. Hugh knew where to find them. Grandpa Deaton would show Hugh how to whittle an airplane, complete with a propeller that really twirled, though neither of them had ever seen an airplane up close. Grandpa Deaton also carved tiny baskets out of peach seeds, and they made tops too. Once Grandpa Deaton whittled out a wooden chain with 13 links, but he would not give it to Hugh until the boy could name the 13 colonies. It was a history lesson that Hugh never forgot. Miss Blonde enjoyed Hugh's visits too. Hugh's a help to me, she would tell their parents when Hugh asked permission to go to Scataway with her. Hugh did try to help. He carried Miss Blonde's books and their lunch pail when they walked to school in the early mornings. In the wintertime, he took out the ashes and helped build a fire in the iron stove that heated the schoolroom. After he had warmed his hands and his feet, Hugh would take the water bucket from the shelf near the window and go to the well to get fresh drinking water for the day. 
Now, he never volunteered to help Miss Blonde with the sweeping, but occasionally after school, after all the other children had left, Hugh would volunteer to wash the blackboard. He did not want any of the boys to see him doing what he considered to be girls' work. Though Hugh Oliver had many tales to tell of his childhood visits to Scataway, his strangest story is of the night the ghost collie came. It had been a night like many other nights. They had eaten supper in the kitchen close to the wood range, and after supper Hugh had brought in an armload of logs for the big fireplace in the front room. He had sat on a braided rug one Grandma Deaton had made in front of the fire and had listened to Grandpa Deaton tell tales of his boyhood. Miss Blonde was grading papers and Grandma Deaton was picking out hickory nuts. Hugh was sleepy, he had gotten up early to go to school with his sister, and he had played many games of tag at recess, at noontime and after school. Now the warmth of the fire and the soothing rhythm of Grandpa Deaton's voice made him drowsy. He was glad when Miss Blonde put her schoolwork away and said, Well, Hugh, it's time to we went to bed. Hugh undressed quickly and stood warming by the fire while Grandpa Deaton read a chapter from the Bible. Then he gave the adults a goodnight hug and ran to bed. The stack of quilts, bare paw, Jacob's ladder, star, all pieced by Grandma Deaton felt good. He was nearly asleep when Miss Blonde reached beneath the covers and wrapped his feet in a wool sweater she had worn by the fire. He was asleep when Miss Blonde made sure the window was tightly closed, buttoned the door, and crawled into bed beside him. The next thing Hugh knew, he was wide awake. It was near dawn, but sunrise was still a promise, and the room held the grayness of fading night. At first, Hugh could not decide what had waked him. Miss Blonde was still asleep, and there was no sound of Grandpa or Grandma Deaton stirring. Some noise had aroused him, though. Some unusual noise. Hugh lay still and listened. He heard it again. The noise that had called him from sleep. Quite distinctly this time, he heard the scratchy padding of a dog's feet across the bare floor. Then he heard panting, the way a dog does when he has run a long way. Hugh looked over the edge of the bed, and there sitting on his haunches and looking right at him was a dog. A big white collie. The boy instinctively reached out to pat the dog to run his fingers through his fur. The dog licked Hugh's hand. Suddenly, Hugh felt uneasy. Something was wrong. Grandma and Grandpa Deaton did not have a dog. In all his visits to Scataway, he had never seen a dog at their home. And how had an animal gotten into the room? The window was still closed. The door was buttoned. Hugh was frightened. Blon, Blon, he called as he shook his sister's shoulder. Blon, what is it, Hugh? What's wrong? Blonde asked sleepily. Then, seeing the look on his face, she said, You saw the dog, didn't you? The white collie? Yes, but how did you know? Hugh replied. He comes often, and... He's here now, Hugh interrupted, right by the bed. But when he looked, the dog was gone. The window was still closed, the door still buttoned. There had been no sound, no clicking of claws on the bare floor, but the white collie was gone. Don't be frightened, Miss Blonde said, gathering Hugh in her arms. It's all right. I can't explain it. All I know is that he's a ghost dog that comes here every now and then. Grandpa Deaton says he's looking for somebody. He's friendly, but kind of sad. Don't be upset. It's all right, she said again. They could hear Grandpa Deaton moving around then, could hear the clatter of the metal eyes as he started a fire in the kitchen stove, and could hear him stirring up the coals and adding kindling to coax a blaze in the front room fireplace. Hugh wondered if Grandpa Deaton had seen the dog too. Come on, let's get dressed, Miss Blonde urged. You can go dress in the front room by the fire. He licked my hand. That dog licked my hand right there, Hugh said, holding out his hand to his sister. Miss Blonde held Hugh's hand and looked up at the spot he had showed her, and then deep into his eyes. Here, she said, handing him a wet wash rag. Wash your face and hands for breakfast. Hugh was not hungry. He sat at the table, but he could not eat breakfast. 
He could not even drink the hot chocolate Grandma Deaton had fixed for him. What's wrong, boy? You sick? Grandma Deaton asked. He saw the dog, the white collie, Miss Blonde explained. He saw the dog and it upset him. Come here, boy, Grandpa Deaton said. He took Hugh's hand and led him into the front room. He sat in front of the fireplace and held Hugh on his knees while he told the story of the white collie. A long time ago, back when there weren't many people or many houses in this valley, a man and his wife lived right here in this house. Nobody seems to know for sure what their names were. Maybe their names were Henson. That's a good name. Travelers coming through the valley would often stop here to spend the night. Mrs. Henson would cook them a good supper, and Mr. Henson would help them see their horses or their mules. Some folks didn't have a horse or a mule. They'd come walking in with a pack of stuff on their back. Sometimes the travelers would sleep in the room where Miss Blonde sleeps now. If it was winter and cold, or if there were a good many travelers here the same night, they might sleep here on the floor in front of the fire. Well, one time a man stopped here. He'd been here before, maybe half a dozen times, and he told Mrs. Henson... I brought you a surprise. And then he reached inside his coat and he brought out the cutest little fuzzy puppy you ever did see. Solid white, just a ball of white fur. The puppy looked so much like a snowball. That's what they started to name it, but Mrs. Henson said that, that was too much a common name. She wanted her dog to have a special name. Not like every other white dog was named. So she named him Frost. Frost can be mighty white and thick too, you know. Frost kind of got to be a pet with everybody. He grew to be a big, friendly dog, and he liked just about everybody, but it seemed like he knew he was Mrs. Henson's dog, and he really loved that woman. He'd follow her around, and he'd lie down close to her when she was working in the kitchen. N not get in the way, you know, but just be close. Folks who stopped often at the Henson's house got real fond of Frost, and some of them even gave him presents. The cobbler made Frost a leather collar, all hand-tooled and decorated, while he was in the community mending shoes, and then a tinker made Frost a big old tin bowl with his name around the rim. Hunters were all the time bringing Frost big bones to gnaw on. Well, late one winter afternoon, this man came riding up and asked if he could spend the night. Mr. Henson went to the door when the man knocked. Now, he didn't like the fellow's looks and would have turned him away, but the weather was uncommonly cold and cloudy and looked like snow, and Mr. Henson hated to send anybody out in a mountain storm. So he told the man he could come on in and spend the night, if he didn't mind sleeping in front of the fire. You see, Mr. Henson knew Mrs. Henson wasn't going to let anybody dirty as that stranger sleep in her good bed. Now, Frost didn't like the stranger at all, Soon as the man walked into the front room, Frost commenced to growl real loud and move up close to Mrs. Henson. Mrs. Henson tried to calm the dog down, but it was plain that Frost did not want the man in the house. Well, Frost got so riled up that Mr. Henson finally shut him up in the bedroom so Mrs. Henson could fix supper. But Frost scratched on the door and barked and cut up so bad that they had to let him out. Mrs. Henson held Frost by the collar and kept saying she was sorry for the way the dog was acting and telling the man that Frost never bit anybody, but you could tell that the man didn't like Frost any better than Frost liked him. He was scared of Frost too. Now, nobody knows exactly what happened later on that night. Next afternoon, somebody passing the house stopped to speak to the Hensons. The visitor called a couple of times, but nobody answered, and he whistled for Frost, but Frost didn't come. The man felt like something was wrong, so he went to get some help. Some men working down the road came with him and broke open the door and, and well, they, they found Mr. and Mrs. Henson dead, murdered. Frost was dead too. 
He was lying right there at Mrs. Henson like he might have been trying to protect her. Folks figure that the stranger, whoever he was, must have thought the Hensons had some money hid at their house, and he aimed to rob them. It was a bad thing, real bad. The house stayed empty a long time after that. Nobody wanted to live in it. Then, finally, some new people moved in, folks who didn't know anything about what had happened to the Hensons. They'd been living there a good while when the man asked somebody after preaching one Sunday if he knew anything about a white collie. Said they kept seeing the dog around the place. Said the dog would just come on in from nowhere, just just come, and then he'd disappear the same way. Said the dog never would eat anything, that he'd just walk right through the house like he was looking for somebody he knew and missed. The way he described the dog, the collar, and all, folks at church knew it was Frost. Couldn't have been any other dog. We, Grandma and I, have been living here a long time now, and ever since we've been here, we've been seeing that dog, Frost. Sometimes we'll be sitting before the fire here in the front room and we'll look and there'll be a big old white dog sitting on his haunches right there between us. He'll sit there and look at the fire, won't lie down, just sit there. Then he'll walk around like he's hoping to find somebody. Then he'll go away. So that's the dog you saw in Miss Blonde's room this morning. That's the ghost, Collie. He's still looking for his mistress. I can still remember how his fur felt when I petted him. And I can still feel his tongue licking my hand, Hugh Oliver says. Alright everyone, so that's it for this week's story. This is another story like last week that Catherine Tucker Wyndham was actually able to talk to the person who experienced the phenomena. So the pictures that accompany this week's story will be posted on Instagram and Facebook so you can see them. One of the pictures even include Hugh Oliver and maybe some ghostly collie tracks in the mud. If you have any stories you would like me to read for the podcast, you can send them to storieswithatwang at gmail.com. The stories don't have to be true, but they have to come from you. Follow Stories with a Twang over on Facebook and Instagram at Stories with a Twang Podcast. There you'll find pictures from the stories and other fun things. Please share the show with your friends and family, and I would love if the social media pages were a little more social. So don't be afraid to talk about the stories on Facebook. I would also like to let y'all know that I am working on a few stories of my own. The stories will not be real, but they'll be coming from real-life inspiration that I've had. So once I have time to actually sit down and write them out, they'll be on the show soon. Thank you all so much for listening, and remember that a little twang goes a long way.